Hi, this is Frank Menzer. Whether you play Moldvay or My Edition or any other basic D&D, tune in next for Save or Die Basic D&D. You burst through the door, you find a small room filled with gold and jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Save or die! The Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your goblin holes and band of oaks, hulking zombies and bulls, and on no troll, don't slow it down, oh no. Still pulling up documents. Jim? Phone off, recorder on. Sweet. Oh yeah, phone off. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, that was my next po- That was my next one. <laughs> Welcome year 2014. Here we are, Save or Die, episode 84. Woo! The episode that we should have done in December, but things fell apart. So here we are in January. A whole year later. Wow. Woo. As usual, DM Mike with DM Liz. Hello. DM Jim. Greetings. And DM Glenn. Hello, everybody. Sorry, I got He's, caught there. Uh-huh. Swimming with enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, well, well, thanks to Liz, I yawned. So. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I was being very careful to do my yawns before we started. That was a pre-show yawn. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did yeah. go to the bathroom before we started, so okay. That was pre-show. Mistakes were made. <laughs> Mistakes were made by other people. <laughs> Mistakes were made. People cried. Beer was drunk. Hilarity ensued. Anyway, this episode we're calling Spell Check. We're talking about spell systems, how we've dealt with them, any modifications we've done to the classic D&D version, how we feel about the spread of spells, and etc. ad nauseum. So if you don't like spells, this ain't the episode for you. I was just going to smart off and say I guess I can suffer through an episode about spells and magic. Yeah, because we I don't know. know how much you hate playing spellcasters. And like a regular spell checker, it'll screw up on you, too. <laughs> It'll end up uh, with Melf's flaccid arrow or something. <laughs> <laughs> flaccid arrow? <laughs> Wall of frog. <laughs> yes. Ultra raisin. You're giving me ideas. <laughs> Do you guys know the Luke Gygax... Uh, Circus Maximus story from Gary Khan, right? No. no. <laughs> the very first uh, Circus Maximus Luke played at, in trying to change Luke over to a Roman name, he uh, began to call himself Lucius, except the way he wrote it down was exactly like the word luscious. So that's, but, <laughs> that's been a joke ever Lucius. since. Luscious Gygax. Luscious Lucius. Well... <laughs> Did he, wear right. pimp, did he wear a pimp hat? <laughs> a Roman pimp hat. A Roman pimp. Had to be Roman, so kind of a toge-y thing. Yeah. But anyway, what have we been doing in gaming this past month? Jim. Oh, me. Um, well, we all have 
recently gamed in uh, Angry Monk's basic D&D game. I'll let you guys talk about that. I'm just there to be an artillery piece anyway. Um, <laughs> but we... uh a big sword. But we did uh, finish up a uh, playtesting a Michael Curtis adventure just last night over at uh, Gateway Games. And that was a, a good adventure. It probably won't be published for another six months and a lot of fun. But And it's my first experience exp- fully exploring the fighter archetype. And I... The prior game, I just ran rampant, but my dice did some Knights of the Dinner Table thing and went dead cold on me last night so bad, I crit- fumbled at like the world's most possible worst moment mm-hmm. and uh, sort of freaked out a little bit and kind of chucked my D20 from one end of the store to the other and almost hit a customer walking in the front door in the face. Wow. <laughs> Ruh-roh. <laughs> uh, oh, that's talent. But, uh, well, I apologize. Never kill a customer. <laughs> it just kind of happened. Mistakes were made. But uh, but my other dice saw that, and then after that, I was okay. I had to dig down and get my home's basic set, Game World dice out, because I was desperate. I'd been through every D20 I had and uh, did like a double nat 20 uh, crit shot. And we were st- we'd gotten uh, interrupted planar step spell had dumped us in the center of a volcanic caldera. And we were being attacked by flying lava monsters who never touched down long enough for anybody without melee or missile weapons to attack. So uh, I managed to take my halberd and golf swing a chunk of obsidian rock straight through one. Take it out. So You were playing Joust. Yes. <laughs> Almost exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Michael Curtis, golden goodness, fun. Yeah. Author of Stonehill. Yes. Yep. And then Glenn. Ah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, non-gaming, not much. Gaming? Well, we've had that uh, BX game that we all play in, and I will defer that to you guys also. And uh, had the uh, Saturday game yesterday. Oh, boy, that was fun. Mighty boy, Matt. Mighty Matt. And uh, with Mighty Brad not dying, believe it or not. Uh <laughs> But we saw some gargoyles. The fa- my last encounter was the favorite. We're going through Dyson's Dell, basically. And uh, we ran into four gargoyles. We killed those. We ran into some guards. We're basically trying to clean out a temple of an evil cult. And we ran into the main guy with four guards. We finished him. This guy tried to put the whammy on us. I hit silence 15-foot radius. He stepped right out of it. Tried to hold me. Didn't work. The druid whipped on insect swarm. Thank you. Did him over. Then this harpy comes out who was working with him. There's a 30, it's a 30-foot ceiling, so she has plenty of room to try and fly up, claw people, and grab them. I didn't know you guys played with Gail. <laughs> <laughs> which she did not do. My favorite moment was when Brad took, told his unseen servant when she landed to hold her wings. <laughs> then she started spouting off some trash talk about how Morkar, the evil deity, is going to eat our souls and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and my cleric, I'd finally had enough. I took my mace. I walked right over and said, Eat me. Yeah, my god, Toki, <laughs> commands that you shut up. Bam, 10 points of damage. She's dead. Threw down my mace at Morkar, my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite moment of the game. Sounds cool. It was cool. Tell us, All right. tell us about it, Mike. Uh, actually, Liz. Me. Right. On the advantage of being the the... the First among equals hosts is I get to wait to last. Uh huh. <laughs> well, since most of what I've done in gaming, you have also done in gaming. When I tell everything that we've done, that conveniently means you don't have to say a word. Does it? <laughs> 
Isn't yes. that what hus- I heard? Isn't that what I hadn't do? noticed? <laughs> isn't that what husbands do? Delegate. <laughs> <laughs> this, this That's a polite way of putting it, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> or is it the other way around? <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, as everybody has mentioned up to this point, we've done our Skype basic expert game run by Angry Monk. Yay! Which I will leave to Mike to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mike and I have also did our um, 2E AD&D game yesterday. This was the first meetup of our group since last year. Um, so everybody's back from holidays and whatever. So we met for the first time yesterday for 2014. Um, and finally killed those damn vampires. Well, mostly. Sort of. Mostly. <laughs> Except we have, you know, the big bad vampire that we had been, you know, gunning for the whole time ever for since. For a month. Yeah, ever since la- November of last year. Um, we'd been going after this particular, you know, for lack of a better term, boss vampire. And he has the special magical piece of a spear that we need to assemble in order to destroy an undead pirate that has a special curse on him. We can't destroy the pirate unless we destroy the ship. The ship can't be destroyed until the pirate is destroyed. So it's like a weird sort of catch-22. And this special uber-magical item that we are assim- you know, gathering the pieces for supposedly will be powerful enough to break that cycle. And once we can injure one, we can destroy the other. So how many of the rod of seven parts do you have? Well, it's only five parts, and we've got four okay. of the five now. Okay. It's like this little harpoon-type spear thingy something. Anyway, but we finally killed the vampire, except he's got a clone of some kind <laughs> in, in a magical stasis yeah, field. Yeah, some kind of magical stasis field that is protecting the body from any type of harm whatsoever. And we we put it out in direct sunlight, and the field is protecting it from sunlight. And Liz, don't you hate it when stupid reoccurring villains don't know when to stop reoccurring? I know they yeah. they always wear out their welcome. <clears throat> but yeah, so we theoretically killed the vampire, but we have what is possibly a clone laying in wait in a stasis field that we can't get into. So we're still having to deal with the vampire. <laughs> But we're we leaving have him our- out on deck all day, hoping that whenever the field drops, you know. Put him in a deck chair, just lie him down there. <laughs> so like a weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, put a little drink with an umbrella in it, I don't know. Anyway, so that was our big thing with that game. And it was fun getting back together again after a hiatus of several weeks. Uh-huh. Um, we ate too much junk food, as usual. I was about to say my two favorite parts of your 2E campaign reports is what food was served and what did meat do this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, meat has not really been, you know, playing with the group for the past couple of months. She's been very busy with her nursing degree that she's been going after and she's also got herself a 
job at one of the local pharmacies, and so she's really not had the time to game with us much. Yeah, so the DM's been running her dwarven fighter belly dancer character. As an NPC. (laughs) Yep. I think he's hoping that she will eventually decide that, you know, she has the time to come jump back in with us. So he's trying real hard not to kill her character off. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that was that was more or less some gaming. Um, When we were doing our car trips to and from Mississippi, I would make Mike run games for me while I drove so I wouldn't get bored just staring at the highway for hours on end. Um, And no matter how miserable I make her character's lives, she just keeps coming back for more. Oh, yeah. I'm a glutton for punishment. (laughs) The foundation of many a happy marriage. Indeed. Mm. So it seems. All right, Mike, it's all on you now to report. My turn. I can't avoid it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, listeners, we were playing in a basic expert game with Angry Monk. (gasps) No. It's true. (laughs) Judges Guild's Glory Hole Dwarven Mine. We wandered around and killed stuff. Meanwhile, (laughs) in other games. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, no, we ran into more Judges Guild goodness. I swear, Angry Monk is doing his darndest to kill off those NPCs with us, especially the leader. Yeah. I don't know what's up with that, but it's like that, what was her name? Oh, what, Chantra or something Chantra, like that? yeah. It's, it's like she's got a... a monster magnet on her head or something. <laughs> a giant target painted on her Yeah, shirt. it's like, they attack, they try and kill her, you know? It's like... Yep. Is there been a fight where she hasn't needed healing? Yeah, I don't want to make any I, accusations because when, when he's choosing a target for the monsters, I hear the dice roll. It just seems to somehow always come up her. <laughs> just lucky, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Unlucky, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Not only have I had to heal her just about every single time we've been in a combat situation, this last time I had to use my raise dead spell to bring her back to life. That's right. It's like, man. And uh, one of the the things I love about Judges Guild is except for those four goblins at the beginning, every monster we've run into has been unique. Yeah. It's not from any of the books. Yeah, so it's not something you'd get a description of and you immediately go, oh, I know what that is. That's an Atyug. You know, it's like, you have no idea what it is. And Troll if you think a- you do, it doesn't act the way you expect it to anyway. So Yeah. Oh, it's a troll. Get some fire. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Oh, no, instead we have the skinless Uzi creature. Yeah. It was yeah. awesome. Even those goblins were sporting like three hit die. Yeah. yeah. And, and what was up with everything that we ran across wearing nothing but a loincloth? I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, that's Is your, it that, hot in there? I, that's your basic hey, player treasure deprivation technique 101. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're in the middle of a recession, so, you know, money's tight. And I've just got to say, we didn't search nearly enough gizzards. Mm. Nope. And, yeah. and I came near death. Just, yeah. so I could, just so you guys can remind me once again that I am a fourth-level character <laughs> that was originally an NPC. I know that, guys. I got yeah, Glenn, 
Glenn joined the game late because he was doing his play, so he had to take a That's already nice. in the party character. Dude, and you missed he was the meeting busy being the, Scrooge. You yep. missed, missed the meeting where they were handing out the tenth level characters. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had well, to he had to star in a play. It's a, a, a bit a teeny bit more important, just a teeny bit. <laughs> but I'm still there, so, <laughs> so plays like undead or level suckers. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Liz mentioned the 2E game. About the only two things I'll mention is, thanks to an artifact my my female el- high elf got a hold of, she is now a female wood elf and is slowly turning into a treant. She's getting wood. I got to get rid of. And my DM, knowing my love for gnomes... For no. Christmas, <laughs> no. got me a lawn gnome painted that's a zombie. Ooh, that's kind of awesome. Nice. Zombie, zombie lawn gnome. gnome, yeah. And he's nice. like, well, have you put that in your yard yet? No, I'm afraid somebody will take it. <laughs> <laughs> because it is just so cool, everyone who drives by our house is obviously going to want it for themselves. Well, of course. <laughs> So unless we can, like, sink it into concrete or something, it may have to, at most, go into the backyard or something. Yeah. This is true. But I, I don't know. Apparently in Denton, Texas, uh, if you leave things unattended in front of your house, they get stolen. Well, I've always been – I've never wanted to put out our really, really cool Halloween stuff in our front yard until the day of because I'm just constantly worried. It's like we've got this human zombie figure that it's just half from, of one. Yeah, it's just from the waist up. And you know, you put it on the ground and you put some loose dirt around it. It looks like it is literally crawling up out of the earth. That's and right. yeah, it's just it's really, really cool looking. And I never ever put it out except on Halloween night. And I always have it where I can glance out our front glass door and easily see whether or not it is still there. Right. Because I'm just I'm I'm convinced that someone would steal it around here. It used to be animatronic, but the remote has screwed up. So, um, however, it does still have a motion detector for moaning, though. <laughs> um, oh yes. So, although to be fair, we've never really had anything stolen from our yard. We haven't. I'm, I, I perhaps so. I'm just too. Maybe I'm just too paranoid. But mm, you know, maybe. I hear a lot about other people having problems and. It's our coolest Halloween thing that we have. and <laughs> I was just thinking of what the Larsons had been through. Yeah. Although they did get at least most of their stuff back. Yeah. Anyway, well, before we move into email, I want to make a few comments of stuff that's happened over the past month that might be of interest to the community. Um, I guess the most obvious one is Wizards of the Coast released its premium reprints of the white original D&D box set. Yeah. The copies of Greyhawk and Blackmore. And Eldritch Wizardry 2? I don't remember. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um, we have not gotten a set yet. Uh, I would just like to say I went looking, though, at Amazon last week, and it's sold out. So, obviously... I know where I could get a copy. Somebody's buying them. Or at least they're out of stock. I mean, one of, I mean, one of my one of my game stores has a copy, but I didn't want to pay 150 bucks. No, no. If I'm going to pay 150 bucks, I'll get the originals. You know. Yeah. 
but it's a nice box, beautiful box. Mm-hmm. Um, Wizards website, D&D Classics, has released uh, Gazetteer 1, Grand Duchy, Grand Duchy of Karamikos. Right. In PDF. <laughs> which, Good. Which we should got, be reviewing in the next few episodes. I got to call Brian on that. He's Mr. Mistara. Yeah. Uh, Bundle of Holding, of course, late last year, did their old school revival thing and got a whole bunch of PDFs of swords and wizardry, labyrinth, lord, etc. stuff. I have oh, yet yeah. to go through them. I don't know about you, Jim. Oh, dude, I snagged that stuff. I've been reading it ever since. Yeah, I have yet to be doing all my, you know, over the semester flip over stuff. I haven't had time, but it's like it's sitting there waiting for me to read. It's calling to you. It is. It is. Mike, read me. And a special shout out to Shane Gallagher for posting an interesting image on the Save or Die Facebook page. Well, it was a private message to us. But oh, was he it? Wa- okay. Yes, he wanted to make sure that you saw it. And it was? Um, it's a little image that's been floating around on Facebook and probably other stuff, too. Um, a picture of the front of a paper that someone had turned in and the teacher had given it an F, and there's a little wizard um, stamp in red ink next to the F, and, and underneath the wizard it says, you shall not pass. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh I like but that. I, I guarantee if Mike could get away with doing that, he would. <laughs> he would have yes. that stamp. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't really drop that into a text box. It just doesn't. You shall not oh. pass. That's great. I don't often cast <laughs> spells, but when I do, thou shalt not pass. <laughs> Keep what studying, is- my friends. Keep studying, my friends. All right. Emails. Uh, Mike, may I, hmm? make a, may I make an announcement, please? Okay. Um. As of this podcast, Wild Games Productions is going to be starting up a new podcast called DM Brainstorm, and we have three hosts. We could use a fourth. So if anybody out there who likes to brainstorm uh, gaming stuff like adventures and places and magic items and stuff like that and has a good Skype, a decent Skype connection, we'd like to talk to you. Is it any type of game? Or is it limited to it is, it's, it's D&Ds? Limited. Or? It's fantasy primarily, but it's system neutral. Oh, okay. This is ideas. We're doing brainstorm stuff. At least ah. it's called DM Brainstorm right now. It may change that. But, um, and we'd also like to see if we can find a female fourth host. Because, except for the lovely Liz here, she is the only woman on any of the Wild Games podcasts. Well, there was the girl on Chant of Light. True, but that's sort of fall out, fallen. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that's no longer. Hmm. Ah. Long story, Vince. I'll just say that. Um, but <laughs> so, people so interested should contact Vince Florio. Vince Florio. Uh, I think there's a wild. Isn't there a, wild, a general Wild Games email? Wild Games Productions. I have no idea. Gmail dot com or something like that. Anyway, or, or get a hold of me or Vince Florio, especially Vince Florio or Corey G. Corey G. Shonuff. On Facebook. Yes, thank you. Anyway, I'm done. Thank you. All right. Emails. Emails. Okie dokie. Over to Liz. Because everybody likes hearing you read. Aw. Pop that bag open. Okay. Well, except uh, 
Um, yes. Ah, I'm blanking on his name. Pasta Man. Corbett? Corbett. Thank oh. you. Corbett Kirkley. Oh, Corbett yes. loves me. What the hell's wrong with him? Corbett loves me. He's just trying to yank my chain. <laughs> Give you a break, more like. Anyway. <laughs> All righty. Our first email is from Todd McGowan. Hi, Todd. And he writes, hey, Sod Team, greetings from the frigid shores of Lake Nipissing. I always and wait for that. I probably totally mispronounced that one. I like that Sod Team. It's almost like Team Sod, you know, like a, like an anime show or something. Or a live action. Where, yep. where we go out and do people's lawns. I don't know. I was going to say, it sounds like we're a collective of farmers or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Todd writes, yet another great show. As a relatively new listener to the podcast, I've been having a great time making my way through the back catalog. This episode in particular brought back a lot of fond memories of my early days in the hobby. When we first started playing basic D&D in the early 80s, sci-fi just seemed a natural companion flavor to our fantasy setting. At the time, I hadn't read any Jack Vance or other writers of his kind, but right from the beginning as a DM, I included sci-fi aspects in my game. I never thought twice about having an evil wizard somehow getting his hands on a battle mech, thus nah. causing the party to defend themselves against <laughs> volleys of lightning bolts, laser beams, and heat-seeking missiles. In that particular case, the party caused the battle mech to self-destruct and take the wizard with it, leaving nothing but a smoldering hole. As the PCs were catching their breath, they noticed something stirring in the crater. Slowly rising out of it came a weird amalgam of the mech and a now-undead wizard. Imagine a white that could fire laser beams. Mm. Up from the depths, <laughs> these stories high. Give me, give me a second on that one. Okay, done. I imagined it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to explain why any of this was happening. I just sat back and let the players madly theorize while they ran for their lives. It was a blast watching them scramble in confusion. As I, <laughs> as I transitioned over the years into AD&D, 1E, 2E, and the unspoken iterations that occurred afterwards, sci-fi dramatically fell away from my campaigns. I can hazard a guess that as the system became ever more codified, it became more of a straitjacket for creativity. Zoom ahead to this year, and as I took up the hobby again in a new city after a two-year hiatus, I was drawn back to basic D&D after having a rather rocky relationship with that which came after Tui. I, <laughs> that which I shall not be named. <laughs> I quickly discovered the OSR and your podcast, as well as the RFI podcast. In a short time, I was able to get back all my 1E core books via eBay and got a copy of Labyrinth Lord online to peruse. Good. I began running small scenarios with my wife and two younger daughters. But within a couple of months, word spread around our neighborhood, and now I have a full table of six adults who try to meet weekly as well as a mixed group of adults and kids who meet once a month to play Labyrinth Lord. Sweet. We are also playing Call of Cthulhu, and yes. there are plans to run the Doctor Who and Serenity RPGs as well. Also, I am planning to introduce my grandchildren to RPGs over the Christmas holidays via the Hero Kids game. We are truly having a mini-renaissance of our own here. Cool. 
Now, back to the sci-fi in my chocolate with a good helping of horror in my peanut butter. Our adult group's Labyrinth Lord campaign draws heavily on the Black City Project setting, designed by Beto over at Dreams in the House blogspot website. I would love to see this setting published, as it's a wonderful mixture of sci-fi, horror, and fantasy. Liz? Hmm? That was Dreams in the Lich House. Ah, Dreams in the Lich House. Okay. Yeah, we'll have the link in the in the show in yeah. the show notes for the episode. Dreams in the Lich House. Something for the liches. <laughs> <laughs> witches and for the liches. Bitches and witches and liches for the. I can go on. I'm in stitches. Ah. Anyway. The PCs play Viking characters exploring ancient and technologically advanced ruins on a frozen northern archipelago. In my take on the setting, I have also thrown in some altered levels of the Stonehell dungeon. In fact, at one point in my game, oh, he says, and amped up the Lovecraftian horror. In fact, at one point in my game, as a side trip, the PCs ran into some elder things and blacked out from the psychic trauma, only to waken as patients in the Arkham Asylum, circa 1921. I hate it when that happens. We then held a group therapy session to roll up their Call of Cthulhu characters before heading out on a short investigation. I like that. My players, most of them newbies really enjoyed the genre hopping that has been going on these last few months, never knowing what to expect. And it seems I've experienced a greater freedom as a DM since going back to this earlier iteration of the game. Thanks again for the topic, and I just wanted to ask you to comment about your own experiences with putting horror, especially Lovecraftian horror, into your fantasy peanut butter. Keep up the great work, and thanks for spreading your enthusiasm for the hobby. Todd. Thank you, Todd. Thanks, Todd. That's a whole big basket of creativity right there. I'm just really stoked that he's got his kids and, you know, by this time probably has also, you know, introduced his grandkids to gaming. And And neighbors. And neighbors, yes. Spread the word. (laughs) That's what you got to do. Yeah, you do. And there's a, there's there's other podcasts like the Thingo's Hammer podcast that are really nice to listen to. But <laughs> and Luke will talk about his experiences <laughs> with his own grandson in gaming. So which are non-existent now. So okay, um, but anyway, um, horror and horror and fantasy. Um, Who to thunk? I haven't had any experience really with that. Kind mm, of yeah, I don't know what it was, but the seventies and very early eighties. He's right. You know, I played in games and even ran games and occasionally imported things from various sci-fi elements, and it just never really struck me that it was, quote-unquote, improper. I don't know if that was maybe a reflection of the culture of the 70s uh-huh. or – I mean, because, you know, there was that whole ancient astronauts and, you know, Phoenix and all sorts of Thundar the Barbarianness, or – if, like he said, you know, as the rules got codified, and especially as campaigns got codified, right, it was really more of a a a, a delineation between the two, sci-fi and fantasy. If I could have done it, I would have done it. But I, you know, I ran Call of Cthulhu before, and even with that, it's hard to scare player characters. Well, D and D takes a different view. Um, exactly. 
Call of Cthulhu, it's, oh, look, there's ghouls scream and run in fear or generally freak out. In D&D, even first-level characters, there's ghouls. Kill them! Yeah, exactly. You know, it's harder to, to really import that idea of fear. You'd have to almost import a fear mechanic, I would think. Yeah, like the sanity thing. Yeah. I don't know, guys, because I think he hit the nail on the head when he said that his players are, are with the genre hopping, they're never sure what to expect. And you can amp player anxiety big time with that. I mean, I don't know if you're going to like make them pee in their seat or anything. but Well, yeah, you don't want that. Happen. I haven't even seen that happen in Call of Cthulhu. I mean, but, the, um, the, the, the atmosphere is there. The monsters are there. The sanity thing is there. But, you know, nothing like a good horror movie or anything. I disagree. If you've got a good castle keeper there, you can really import that level of fear or suspense, I'll say, since there's no actual worry about your personal self. Right. Well, I would say but, if you are running, say, you've got D&D characters. Okay. The character's backstory, you're playing them as individuals who have grown up in a world where – monsters, undead creatures, things like that are not unusual. And so you've, you're playing the character with a sense of, well, I've never personally run into them before, but I've certainly heard of them. And so when you're playing Call of Cthulhu, say, mm-hmm. you're an ordinary person and you've got the mindset that this character has gone through most of their adult life up to this point having no idea that stuff like this exists. Right. And it's a lot easier to role play the fear, the terror, etc. because it's a completely different type of character that you are playing. Well, it is. And so, hmm? No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll, I'll rebut in a minute. So, the, I think the whole point with the genre hopping, or in this case, the world hopping, you are placing your D&D characters into a setting that is, for once, totally unfamiliar to them, and it's a lot easier to get a a sense of, if not horror, a, more of a sense of uncertainty, right. where your players are, they're not quite sure what they should do now. Well, it helps that they're newbies, too. He said, for the yeah, most part, his exactly. current group is newbies. So you don't quite have the, right. like we were saying earlier, you know, oh, troll, fire. You know. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, I think the D&D mindset is pretty pervasive across genres. And sometimes you can't shake it. <laughs> um, uh, I think that's more of players, though, than necessarily yeah, the game right. systems but themselves. That's why I think it's important that there are newbies. Because I know several old-time, old-school players who you do, you do stuff like, well, that D&D thing where you ran into the Elder Trishy and Blackout and you're in Arkham Asylum would just piss them off to no end. It's like we, in Champions, we had a, a scenario one time, one of, the, one of the Game Masters ran where we were all fighting this big, giant monster and nothing was sticking. You know, you couldn't do anything. And we all got... You know, basically KO'd, and you wake up, and you wake up from your communal dream. Oh man, I would not want to be the GM at that. I didn't want to be the GM at that table that night. <laughs> well, oh, well it would depend, I guess. Was that part of an overall story arc? It was. That, 
dream was important, or was this just a rather obvious attempt for him to overcome the fact, boy, I made that monster too powerful. I'm going to just say it was a dream after all. So no, this people- was this was this was this was the opening gambit of okay. the oh. supervillain. Well, so. Not really sure why people would be pissed off then. Um, they just get pe- people get PO'd if they do something and nothing happens. I mean, mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, you get in a fight, you expect some, you know damage on either side, but if something's totally untouchable, players will get mad. Well, as, as well, our, that's as, sorry. Go ahead, Jim. As a writer, I mean, some of what we're talking about is storytelling basics and uh, the right. whole concept right. of drama, which I'm sure you're familiar with from acting, is to is to build tension and crank it up to a climax. And, oh, yes. And the, and the more from left field the payoff and solution comes, the mm-hmm. better the payoff in the end and the more people enjoy it. So taking traditional fantasy characters and throwing an elder god or a mech at them is genius for that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, I can understand that. And I, I mean, think- if... No, I'm saying if they're set up for it. I mean, yeah, you could throw if if he, I'm saying like if the DM or GM has the reputation of doing stuff like this, you sort of roll you roll with it more. I promise my players in my campaign every game you're going to see something you ain't never seen before, and I do my best to deliver that. Okay, but, what we saying? Yeah. But I mean, to your point, there's there's buy-in there because I know my group, my group knows me, and we all enjoy gaming in the style right. we're gaming in. Yeah, but this just kind of feels a bit like the, you know, go into an, a situation where the players expect there must be a relatively equal chance to win. And as we've said on the show before, the old school gaming is sometimes you're going to get in scenarios where the best thing you can do is run yep. or determine a non-combat method of defeating the, the foe. Uh-huh. So... But you're right. It does. It is a matter of you have to know your players. Yeah, they have to be able to roll with it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the email, Todd. Thanks, Todd. You want to try our next one, Liz? Okay. Our next email is from Jesse Sirke. Hi, Jesse. And Jesse writes, "Howdy, y'all." Howdy. I heard, <laughs> I heard an email from by DM Mothshade on your recent Bag End podcast as well as comments by Jim, and was it Mike who had the Masters in Medieval History? I'm afraid so. (laughs) And wanted to chime in with ideas for my own campaign. For a couple of years now, I've been developing and using a world-building technique that involves a synthesis of anachronism and alternate history, producing a world which is like our own, identical to it in a geography and history up to a point of diversion, but which, due to that point of diversion, operates within the rules and conventions of Dungeons & Dragons or other similar old-school FRPGs. I picked up a period of historical turmoil to introduce the fantasy elements, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, beginning about the year 400 of our Common Era. At that point, like Mothshade suggested and Jim elucidated, (laughs) magic has begun to influence history, much like technology, allowing for rapid advancements in the average standard of living, medicine, communications, and the subsequent disruption of the societal patterns such as tribal and feudal relationships. Thus, in the first century after the introduction of fantasy elements, society jumps up the equivalent of 400 years to the point of the formation of the Holy Roman Empire and the heyday of the Byzantine Empire. 
wars ensue between magic-wielding empires and tribes, and magic and technology advance together at a slowly decreasing rate up until around A.D. 1000, when an influx of monsters and long-forgotten gods and demons causes human society to decline rapidly. Yeah, they were right after all. It is the end of the world in 1000. <laughs> Admittedly, my players are not new to the game and understand my desire to lend verisimilitude to the milieu. Ooh, Hygagaxian! That was two of my favorite words in the whole English language in one sentence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't forget to Weomercraft. Uh, I'm sure it's further on. <laughs> However, they aren't all history buffs. So selling them on a campaign setting that feels a little like a lesson can be tough. I overcome this through the device of using real-world fairy tales and folklore to inform my use of magical and fantasy elements. The result seems to be what some early D&D enthusiasts might have experienced when they started introducing magic and monsters into their wargaming sessions recognizable fighting types from history engaging in struggles against supernatural beings, enlisting the aid of friendly spirits and creatures along the way. One development that has come about, which I believe someone suggested during the podcast, is that magic users do not create magic items or new spells. This goes on the theory that magic users are to wizards what computer users are to programmers. Thus, magic use is quite common, but with a limited range of spells, which differs from one locale to another. For instance, one part of the world specializes in military magic, while another specializes in clerical magic, and another in showy, wondrous magic and illusion. Magic items arise from a guild system, which is tightly controlled by the guilds themselves and subject to secular and ecclesiastical law. Another subject upon which I'd like to opine is your possible reviews of the X-Series modules in sequence. I love it. I recently acquired the Tom Moldvay Basic Rules and the subsequent Cook Marsh Expert book. I was inspired by DM Kojo's reminiscences about playing the Moldvay Basic Rules as a kid. I had an almost identical experience when I received the basic D&D set in 1980, and opening the old manuals and relishing in their elegant simplicity has restored my faith in the game as a player and DM. Thanks for hosting such a wonderfully helpful and entertaining podcast. I look forward to hearing from more DMs who have set their campaigns in historical eras. Most sincerely, Jesse, a.k.a. DM Icern. Thank you, Jesse. Let me uh, elaborate on your most mellifluous email <laughs> that you have actually laid out to us. Pray elucidate. Thank you, sir. Now, what he said about uh, wizards being to magic what uh, users are to so programmers. That's a very good. That's a very good analogy because that means there are wizards out there who are the equivalent of programmers, which means you have a funnel of new spells coming in. It's like I didn't. Re I didn't create Microsoft Office, but I sure as hell could use Microsoft Office. So mm -hmm. somebody out there, a group of people, came up with these spells, and there's constant flow of spells coming out. But you, you know what I'm saying? It's like new software coming out. This yeah. new thing can do this. Yeah, you're 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 in the Microsoft Guild. I'm in the Mac Guild. Right, same thing. So, you know, you got the spells coming out, but they're coming from certain cabals or individuals or stuff that that specialize in making spells instead of having every freaking wizard, you know, on the high. Laboratory. 
Yeah. And in that case, um, evil world-beating wizards could be considered hackers. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You free source code guys. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the evil force of Linux. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm interested in what you think, Mike, because everything this uh, Jesse wrote sounds to me like the the Harry Turtle Dove approach. Let's just find one nexus point in history, and it diverges from here. I love that stuff. It is, um, and yeah, I've I've often thought it would be fun, you know, because that way, if nothing else, it, you could cheat a bit because you can use European geographical maps for your campaign world. You just decide, okay, with magic influencing things, would the Western Roman Empire have fallen in 476? Would Byzantium be stronger? You know, did the Frankish kingdom become, you know, all this other weird stuff you can do. It's a great little mental exercise if you're a historian or just a fan of history. Um, but I've never gotten around to doing it, and I can't honestly say why. Um, it'd be fun to play in. Yeah. Uh, but then I'm a history person, so you know. Well, I, but it's 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 useful for people who aren't historically oriented because I've read Harry Turtledove and I don't enjoy history books at all. I knew next to nothing about the Civil War until I read Guns of the South, and then all of a sudden I'm walking around knowing who all these people are. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, did you ever see, hear of his series, the End of the Darkness series? Is it the Alien Invaders? No, that's World at War. Um, basically, uh, Into the Darkness is series, what if there's a fantasy world, but that's where World War II happens? So you've hmm. got this little bald or, you know, warlord who's the equivalent of Hitler and various other things going on, and there are you know, fantasy battles between knights and stuff that reflect the fall of France or the Battle of Britain with dragons and so on and so forth. I haven't gotten to that one, but it sounds cool. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I tried to tried to read it a while back, but got distracted. I really need to go back to it sometime. But my fa- my favorite kind of stuff like that is Randall Garrett. Mm, never heard of him. Lord Darcy. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, mag- magic in the modern world. You're in the seventies. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, familiar with still, Lord Darcy. Still Victorian London, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, except yeah, kind of like um, Piers Anthony's. Incarnations of Immortality, it's kind of our modern world, but there's lots of magic, too. You still have the enemies like Germany and France and Spain and all that. Yeah. That kind of stuff. And, you know, whatever was going on during the, the age of, uh, you know, like, con- I don't want to say conquer, whatever that European age was during the Victorian times, or Manifest Destiny and all that kind of stuff. Mm. The Imperial Age. Thank you. Is that a yes. book, Glenn? What? Lord the, Darcy? Yeah. It's a series yeah. of books. It's two books. Of, I think it's two, two or three books of short stories and one novel called Too Many Magicians, well, which is one of the. By the way, that was one of the best locked room murder mysteries you'll ever read. Hmm. Well, anyway. speaking of the um, Roman Empire, um, was it the was it Turtle Dove who did the story about the people from the future who tried to change the past by having their supercomputer, you know, sent back in time? No, that was Eric Flint. Eric Flint, okay. Um, the Belisarius series yeah. where, yeah, Byzantine Rome, uh, yeah, those super kind of like eugenics Nazis sent a computer back in time to 
control India because they wanted to use the caste system to eventually develop generic genetic engineering of superiority, but they wanted to destroy the Romans. So Emperor Justinian and Belisarius get visited by their own little computer. And so within like a few years, you've got Roman, le- you know, Roman soldiers marching with muskets and oh, wow. rail, you know, General Belisarius doing strategies with uh, cannon and steamships and all sorts of weird stuff. It's pretty cool. It's big. It's like six books, and each one of them are like 500 pages, but it's a good read. The confusion. I didn't know anything about 6th century India until I read that, and I found out a bunch of stuff. I will will plug the the other version right now for second edition because the – if you're going to do something like that, I think the story – I think the historical splat books, the green ones, are invaluable. They did have some good historical splat books. Yeah. The Charlemagne's yeah. and other stuff. Mighty Fortress, that kind of thing. Um, and it even goes to the, there's even one on Rome, one on the Vikings. On the We just did the Celts on Thaco's Hammer. And, you know, you want to do something like that, these are good primers. Yeah. For, if, if you're wanting to see someone's uh, D&Dification of it, even an AD&Dification, Taco. <laughs> um, yeah. Those are pretty good, and you could generally find them fairly cheap. Oh, yeah. I would just like to note that on this particular podcast, you mentioned AD&D before I mentioned DCC. Yep. Ha-ha. Uh-huh. Twice. I'm that good. Or we're that good. All right. Well, Appreciate the emails, and if any of you want to send emails, you can send them to saverdiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to send voicemails, Glenn? I, what? <laughs> I thought, 903-536-3763. Thank you. I thought you, I thought you said you smell Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Smells like teen spirit. <laughs> God, I hope I can't smell Glenn. Not over Skype. <laughs> Smells. Smells like a game table at the fourth hour. Yeah. <laughs> I smell sweaty polyhedras. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, reminds me of high school. Anyway, <laughs> now we're going to talk about spell systems. But first, very important words, and then we'll go right into DM's workshop. about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. Join the band and party like it's 1974. Available on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are served. Or check us out at Spellburn.com. workshop talking about spell systems by definition this will be spell systems that differ from the core books have any of you decided or come up with in the past 
um, house rules regarding how spells are cast that changes the core systems. No, Liz? Mm, I don't know if it... I'm not sure if this really counts, but I suppose it does because I've incorporated stuff from non-basic D&D elements into my Holmes game. But it's no secret that I love cantrips. And ever <gasps> since the Unearthed Arcana came out with them, I've stolen them and I use them all the time now. So cantrips go into my Holmes game. And I'm also I'm a big fan of spell points. I mean, it's not really Vancian, but I think it's something that gives lower level magic users more versatility and quite frankly it's easier for me to keep track of how many spell points a player has used as opposed to making sure I know what specific spells they have memorized every single game day and then checking them off as they use them to keep track of that so okay, yeah, those are my two main biggies cantrips and spell points so do you that still require your magic users to memorize certain spells every day and then the spell points just allow possibly repetitive casting or do you allow them like clerics to basically choose any spell in their list at a given time in their list no but i keep track of what they have in their spell book what spells have they found and successfully learned okay um so, yeah, they couldn't just pick anything off of the, say, the first level spell list and cast it. They have to actually have it themselves. Okay. And I, I don't necessarily make it easy for people to find spells. And All right. that's something that I picked up from you. Because so. <laughs> I'm a miser. That's right. <laughs> you got to work for those spells. <laughs> you go and for years having nothing but friends and jump. <laughs> <laughs> And then you finally get burning hands and you're going, yes! <laughs> How do you determine your spell points for a given magic user? I know the answer to this, but yeah. for our listeners. Okay. One point for a first level spell. Two points to cast a second level spell. Three points to cast a third level spell. And depending on how many spells you have the ability to cast at, you know, via the, the level table... Say if you could cast two first level and one second level, you would have four spell points. Ah. And I also like to give out extra spell points for high intelligence, the way that in the AD&D tables, clerics get extra spell casting abilities for high wisdom. Mm. I do the same thing with wizards and intelligence Okay. to kind of even them out a little. And, okay... Jim, what do you do? Um, or what have you done? The thing I'm the most nostalgic for and miss the most about when I started playing was I got in right at the tail end of before TSR started clamping down on stuff. So when I very start, first started playing, every you couldn't go to uh, you know uh, the bookstore and buy D&D. It was hard to find, and people were just publishing things willy-nilly before Gary got to them with cease and desist. So in that period, we got our hands on... Uh, uh, little publication called the spellcaster's bible if you've ever Ooh, do you know I what i mean by that it's like uh, i've heard of it but i've never seen it they uh 
They pop up on eBay. You used to could get them for thirty, forty bucks. I checked tonight. Was this, was this drag? Was this was this Dragon Tree? Uh, no, it's uh, by a company nobody ever heard of called the Playing Board. But it was a bunch of the West okay. Coast gamers out there with Dave Hargrave and those guys, and it had a, oh, okay. a bunch of new spells that went up to like tenth, eleventh level, and a spell point system. And um, we got our hands on that and uh, tried the whole system, whole cloth, the spell point system. And which wasn't like as simple as what you just said, Liz. It was ridiculous. You had your strength, intelligence, and constitution <laughs> divide by three, then times your level. There was a whole formula oh, boy. to arrive at it. But the uh, but we tr- we tried it, and uh, uh, we uh, just ended up jettisoning all of it in our first edition AD&D campaign, except the part about you didn't have to memorize your spells. Anything on your list, you were only limited by the number of spells you were allowed to cast a day. And we played in my brother's campaign like that for over a decade I, I was a little bit of a pain in the butt when I uh, came back to gaming and had to go through the actual chore for me of like selecting the spell memorization and it's a it's a big game changer in the way things work I, I use Going. a Star Trek analogy you're uh, under mm-hmm. my brother's system you know your magic user is the tricorder the communicator the phaser and the um, shields you know you're, you're, you're everything all the time and when you mm-hmm. have to use a strict fancying system from basic D&D, you've got to know where you're going and pick your spells. Do I want to be, you know, the canon or do I want to have all the, you know, it's like we, last week when you guys were asking me, do you have detect magic or something stupid? Well, I had it, but I didn't have it memorized going into a dungeon. I'm loaded up with fireballs and magic missiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've heard an, that for an argument from several people that that is part of the quote-unquote skill of learning to play D&D is that logistician aspect of, you know, choosing the right spells at the right time sort of thing. I'm fine with any way you want to play, but I grew up kind of spoiled by our little house rule. Okay. And did it work well? I mean, you seem to think it did. Oh, well, it it worked out great for my character. Did you ever use it (laughs) as as a DM? Um, I ran some D and D back then, and uh, just used the same set of rules, and was never very bothered by it. Okay, Glenn. Well, I have not used anything other than the Vancian system, but I am now open to change for that. Mm-hmm. First of all, Matt in the Saturday game uh, allows priests ad hoc spellcasting. Which means I'm fifth level. That means I have three first level, two second level, and one third level spells of anything on the list. So you don't have to pray ahead of time to get. Oh, I pr- oh, I pray ahead of time, but it, the God gives me the energy. I decide what to do with it. That's what I mean. You don't have to choose yeah. which specific spells you're praying for. Exactly, and I like that. And I've been racking my brain trying to figure out how to do that with wizards because I know the limitations of wizards, and given that free reign, can really. S- schmuck up your game um but now that i've been exposed to tunnels and trolls which does have a spell point system Mm -hmm. that i like very much Mm. because they give see see the 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 checks and balances for the spells with them is you got to know the spells to cast them first off wizards get all the first level spells automatically this is your basic training everything else costs money per spell and it's not cheap. To learn it or to cast it? To learn and cast it. The Wizards Guild is, has a tight, tight rein on that, unless you find another wizard who would want you to would teach you this. That sounds, but, a, little, that sounds a little Blackmore-ish. 
a little black marsh, but you can also cast as many spells as you have strength points for. Your okay. strength is how many, and the spells cost, you know, varying levels of, you know, like one costs one, two, and there's like, there's also was like a strength and a dex, you know, requirement in there. But the, aside from that, the spell points work in that, and you get the spell points back one an hour. So to me, that's manageable for a wizard, and I'd love to take that and put it into D&D. Definitely make, uh, for the DM, keeping track of time important. Oh, yeah. You just have to determine, like, okay, how many spells do you have? Do you know? Do you know all the first-level spells? Or do you know this smash, you know, this this list of spells? You know, I'm trying and to remember the, back over three decades, but I think that was the end of the spell point system in our campaign was because my brother stopped wanting to do the bookkeeping to make sure we weren't cheating. Uh, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Did, uh, okay, about this, can you also, like in D&D, find in a dungeon or a tomb or something a scroll of spells and oh, you can learn them that way definitely definitely okay. so it's not just exclusively from the guild right. to pay money for that's right i mean i mean the second level spells cost like a thousand gold per spell and it goes up from there depending on what level you want and they have 18 to 20 levels of spells wow yeah okay talk about dave no- hargrave <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, there, and there's and there's and there's no clerics in the game, but there are healing spells in the wizard section. So go figure. Um, <laughs> so basically, anyway. wizards do double duty. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. There are holy men, but they don't. He's they say, he's straight out. There are holy men. There are priests, but they don't go adventuring. They're they're not dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think importing that into D and D though would be a real. If you did it as is, it would really kind of invalidate either the wizard or the cleric class. You think? Magic um, user. Spell points like that? One, once upon a time. Well, I think well yeah. I mean, if a wizard can cast all wizard spells and cleric spells, then, well, what's the point of a cleric? Well, no, 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 no. I'm, not, I'm saying take the spells in D&D and apply the spell point system to them. I'm not saying take the spell list from Ch- Tunnels and Trolls and do it because – I'm running out of words here. Uh, Liz, what were you saying? Uh, I was just going to say that many, many years ago, I never did finish this up, but I once started to create my own campaign world based on, um, oh gosh, what was that David Edding series with um, Sparhawk and the other knights of the... Uh, Alenium. Yeah, the Alenium. And it was going to be kind of loosely based on that, where you didn't have mages, really, all spells were cast by clerics, and so uh-huh. they had magic user spells as well as clerical spells. Uh-huh. But the magic user spells that they had available to them varied depending on what god that they worshipped. And so, yeah, your only spell casters were clerical knights. Hmm. Um, a la Templars right. um, sort of thing. Yeah, like I said, I never did finish making up that that world, but that was an idea I was playing with like maybe 15 years ago now. <laughs> I wow. Never, ever finished that up. But When you were 10, right? Uh, yes, of course. 15 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. You know what? Hmm. When, if we ever burn Shannon out, you should run our next campaign. I should? Yeah. Yeah. We're still waiting on that 
D&D Call of Cthulhu, or that Boot Hill Call of Cthulhu crossover game. Let's... Yeah, well, it's called Deadlands. You can go pick it up whatever <laughs> you want. <laughs> Savage Worlds, right down the street, yeah. <laughs> well, about the only two things I ever tried doing was a spell point system, as noted. Um, tried various ones, but usually fell back on the one Liz described earlier. Um, in fact, I did it for the longest time. It was only like seven, eight years ago, I finally just kind of gave up on it because when I got back into D&D really big around 2001, 2002, oh, God, that was 12, 14 years, 12 <laughs> years ago. Ah, That's right. You were five, right? Uh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I I just kind of thought, you know, the more I re- reread up on D&D, the more I convinced I became that in order to really play the game, I hesitate to use the word correctly, but the way I wanted to, to play it would be with the Banshee Fire and Forget system. So I gave up on spell points. Though I'm, I have no problem with other people using it, and if that's how it is in the campaign, uh, for instance, the 2E game Chase Runs has spell points. That's As a Fighter Magic user, I am more than happy to use the spell point system. I see. But... Uh, that's only been the only really big modification I ever tried. Um, I tried running a game. Oh, I forget who wrote it, but it's called Fantasy Wargaming. It was oh, published. Is that that hardback book? Hardback book? Yeah, yeah it I'm blanking on the, the off on the author too, but I yeah, eighty eighty one, and it had all magic. There was black and white. Um, so I tr- thought about importing that for D and D, and I came up with a idea of doing making basically a a lettered switching white and black magical tongues and i wrote out the the names of the spells in this new new language and had players have to when they wanted to cast a spell actually have to say the word out loud and if it wasn't pronounced correctly the spell messed up whoa wow Not- not one of my better ideas, but I was 13. What do you want? I think it's an awesome idea. What are you doing about? <laughs> Oddly enough, my players didn't. Cup, talk talk about regarding you would, Jim. Leviosa. Talk <laughs> about you would, Jim. No, no, no. Talk about instilling fear in your players. I had a guy walking around with wishes from a deck of many things a couple weeks ago, and every time he got ready to uncork one, all I did was lean forward and say, now exactly what do you say? And I got him so freaked out, he was stuttering. <laughs> well, enunciate his wish. Well, That's good you know, stuff. My, well, well, here's another one. Here was another one, Jim. I briefly was toying with the idea of using true names in my, in my world. That's interesting. You know somebody's true name, you have control over them. Any being, any beast, anything. Bob, you must obey me. <laughs> I have a question for the general group. Um, Mm. So we've all shared how we've sort of been through this cycle of we were introduced to the game, which for all of us was Vancey and Magic to start with, then explored options, and then all came back to Vancey. And I mean, how much of that do you think is determined by the age you are in your career? Because now we're all, you know, we've seen it all, we've done it all, and we're kind of settling on what works for us today. But I mean, okay, this is what I'm, as a teenager, this is what I'm given. Of course I want to try something else. Because that's what everybody hmm. does. Well, when I was your age, I was 
I think there's a point to that. And I also think, again, in this, I hate to sound like an old pair, back in the good old days. <laughs> but dinosaurs <laughs> roamed the earth. Yeah. On, on, I, I think there was just a lot more freewheeling attitude back then, too. Mm-hmm. Well, it was just expected, true. I think. Yes, it was. It was, it was a boomtown. It was like yeah. a boomtown in Gold Rush country, you know? I wish Crispy was here. I'd like to ask him, you know, did you feel this freewheeling when you started gaming in the, you know, 90s or noughties or whenever it was he started gaming? Uh-huh. Or So is it an age thing or was it just that time in the development of the RPG society? Well, there's, there's a thing there because we were all early adopters. And that's part of being an early adopter is getting out there on the bleeding edge and experimenting. Yeah. I mean, well, you don't, well, you don't know what the rules are because you haven't made them yet. I mean, there were no splat books. When I started, there were no campaign settings. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, like John Peterson said in his book, Playing at the World, the psionic system from Eldritch Wizardry was basically TSR's first attempt to do a spell point system. It's like people seem to like spell points, so we're going to give them this, you know? I can't remember what John said, but it seemed like it was Gary trying to co-opt the spell point system and sort of Borg it in. Could be. Although I think, didn't Brian Bloom write that? I don't remember. There were several versions of the spell points, you know. Yeah. So, well, I mean the actual psionic system that came uh, out in. Yeah, the, I mean I meant to say there were several versions of the psionic system, though, weren't there? All I know is every time it comes up in front of Tim Casks, his first sentence is, "I tried to talk him out of it." <laughs> 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 Don't blame me. Yeah, it was really well. We've already talked about psionics, but yeah, I, I, that was that. Talk about a clunky spell point system. Wow. Mm-hmm. It does kind of apply, though, because, I mean, we're talking about alternate magic systems, and, I mean... And in the end, yeah, that's really what it was. And it, you only had, like, a 2% chance of any character having it, and it was amazing how many players seemed to roll that. They were making up their characters at home. <laughs> that's... I mean, with the age we were back then, that's just basic DM manipulation. Okay, <laughs> if you do it in honest rolls, you can have it. Okay, and then you sit there and rolled 89 characters in a row till you got it. <laughs> that is cruelly, cruelly true. Yeah, my first character that I ever made <laughs> up was an elf, and she had a magical <laughs> trident, even though she lived nowhere near the ocean, because I just thought <laughs> tridents were super cool looking. So I gave her one. <laughs> hey, good a rationale as any. You know. If I want something specific, I'd roll 40 dice. <laughs> That's 10 characters right there. So do it 10 at a time. <laughs> you had 40 dice? <laughs> I still do have 40 dice. Hey, champions. Well, yeah, we've got, got that 40 now. But... 40 he plays D6. champions. He's got 40 D6, right. <laughs> That's right. Just open a door. Back in the day, we had chits. Anyway. Okay, well. Yeah, we any... had what? Um, any more commentary on this? That's what I was trying to say, yes. Any more? Nothing? No. All right, well, let's nope. move into game on. 
game on. Now we're talking about it for a while from the player's perspective. We think it sucks. Shut up. <laughs> now, I've asked you. <laughs> are there different magic systems that you prefer as a player than as a DM? And let's start with Glenn. Um, same answer, different side of the different side of the screen. I like spell point systems, um, and and what? Let me elaborate on what I said earlier. I meant like the the wizards have the spell point systems, and the priests should get ad hoc, you know, casting because of their god. Ad hoc? You mean like um, on the fly? You know. So absolutely, I, they can cast a thousand cure light wounds in a day. Um, well, no, they still have like three, say like my fifth low, three first, two second, one third. But you can pick anything on the list. Oh, okay. And wizards, they have enough spell points to cast whatever they know as many times they want. As, as many spell, you know, as, for as many, however many spell points they have, that's how much they can cast. Now, can they choose anything on their list or do they have to memorize specific ones day to day and they can just maybe cast a multiple if they want to? I would have them have a list of what first, second, and third, or whatever level spells they know, and that's what you go by. Now, as a player, I, have you ever played under someone's spell point system that was different and, and or, in your opinion, better? No, as I have a player, not. But you'd never use it as a DM. No, I have not. Like I said, I'm new to this spell point thing. Okay. Jim? Well, as a player and a DM, I, I mean, I've, I've kept this on the leash so far during the podcast, but i got to slip the leash at some point. Um, my, I mean, I'm... F- I like AD&D. I like basic D&D. In fact, what I'm enjoying about Angry Monk's basic D&D campaign is that my AD&D memorization of the spell effects and ranges is all no good. And I'm actually having to look up the spells and reread them to figure out what the hell half of them do because they're different. I, I, mm-hmm. as, a, as a grown-up adult player now, I enjoy that unexpectedness and that makes it new to me. But my uh, favorite current system is the one in Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is quasi-Vancian in that you uh, memorize spells and can forget them, but whether or not you forget them depends on how well you roll on your spell check, which is a d20. And uh, you can do everything from uh, successfully cast a spell at increasing uh, amounts of of efficacious (laughs) result, or uh, flub it so bad you lose it for the day, or tank so hard uh, tentacles grow out the side of your head and you get talent claws a little pinky or something. And like a random feet, mutation, yeah, for ex- example, or, exactly. Or like feet that. that, or feet that grow. And mm-hmm. uh, hey, yep. Mike, big hairy feet that grow. Yeah, uh, that happened to a guy. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's a lot of fun to to play with on both sides of the screen. Um, uh, although. Uh, it's it's the part that's tricky about DMing that system is um, the uh, NPC casters and the player characters don't operate under the same rules which is weird to get used to, but ultimately benefits the game in, in that particular style and genre. But I'm, I really love it all. I, I mean, I sit down and play AD&D tomorrow, or I'd even give Tunnels and Trolls a chance if somebody was running it. Yeah, that's something that I've, I know a lot of players get really bent out of shape when there are classes that NPCs can get and players can't. Or yeah. that the rules are different for NPCs than they are for players. Yeah, I didn't. Need I to don't. Jump ahead as long as I'm made aware of it ahead of time that this is a possibility, I 
don't see the problem personally. I, I've had gripes about NPC classes for a long time because one, I don't think it's fair to the players, and two, you know the pl- somebody out there is going to let a PC have this class. Then don't let them in your game. No, but I'm saying there's a DM DMs out there who say, "Oh yeah, fine, take it." Oh yeah, I've done DMs that'll let people use classes from anywhere and everywhere. You know, and, and I, my, I, I go ahead. And in my opinion, when their campaigns blow up in their faces, it's like, well, <laughs> well, the particular example I was citing from DCC is different in that it strictly benefits the players that the evil saucer can't spell burn all his abilities down to three and wipe you out. <laughs> ah, so the difference is actually an advantage to player characters, not a disadvantage. That's correct. Nice. Ah, okay. Nice. So I take it you have to ro- roll spell check every time you cast a spell? That's correct. Okay. Nice. Okay. I don't know how I feel about that. I would think NPCs should have, if not the same abilities, at least a different ability that is maybe exclusively theirs that's something PCs don't get to kind of – I hesitate to use the word balance, but – Well, what about, and I hesitate to bring up your game that has not yet been published yet, Victorious, but the whole Uh idea of, you know, that you have. Eight years in the making. But the whole idea you have with it is if you are playing a good character, you get the option of victory points that you can use to help you succeed in something. And non-good characters cannot get those. Oh, I cannot. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the things that are going to freak people out. People are going to be indignant. But still, that's kind of the same sort of thing. Yeah. You know, between players and NPCs, you know, as opposed to good and evil. If you're good, you get a Benny. If you're not good, you don't. (laughs) But, of course, if you're neutral or evil, then you are not held by the same limitations, you know? Right. Alignment-wise. So long as everybody knows the rules up front, I don't see the problem because there are certainly campaign systems where the entire campaign is so-called a good campaign or a evil campaign. Right. Yeah. yeah. And as far as like victory points in your game, Mike, there are precedents for that. I mean, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay has hero points plus the, the points you get in Savage Worlds to do stuff like that. So there is a precedent for that. So it's not like people – But are they're not like, limited what? to alignments. They're not limited to a particular alignment, are they? Um, not that I know of, no. Yeah, that that's the part that I think is going to be in danger. Which, of course, again, the unsaid statement there is, don't like it? Change it for your own game. I mean, Absolutely. That's, right. that's the golden rule, as long as your players know what you're doing. But uh, in DCC, the cleric, how well the cleric heals you depends on what alignment you are. The further away you are from the, client, from the cleric, the less effective the heal is. Now, you see, that's hmm. an interesting <clears throat> thing that I think yeah. makes sense. Um and speaking on that, uh, in my Aden campaign, generally, if your cleric worships a healing deity, you get to add your level to whatever healing spell you roll as additional hit points. Not that's very that's very Forgotten Realms. How nice is, is it? Nice. Yeah, I've never. I, mean, I don't read Forgotten Realms, so I well, didn't know. Well, I played a cleric of Torm one time, and I got some a couple of spells that were bennies like that. You know. And, you know, worshippers, worshippers will get bennies, too. Ah. So, yeah, it's very, I like that. Hmm. All right, Liz. 
Um, I'm pretty much like Glenn. The system I prefer is the system I use as a DM. And, you know, I think it works for me on both sides of the table that way. I think it's less paperwork all around. I'm not having to constantly write down, okay, these are the spells that I am memorizing today. And, Mm -hmm. you know, then... You know, make up the new list after I've slept for eight hours. And okay, now these are my new spells. These are my new spells. So, is it because I'm just lazy? I don't know. But <laughs> I, I feel like it is less work on my part as either a player or as a DM for keeping track of stuff using the spell point system that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And you know what the thing is about spell points? Uh, I found out in basic, or at least the basic we're playing, clerics can cast the reverse of spells with no penalty. Wizards can't. They have yeah. to memorize no, the reverse. If it was a spell point system, I wouldn't care. It's like, it's all going out the door anyway with spell points. Go ahead. You want to reverse it, do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm the odd man out because... I certainly don't mind, as a player, using spell points. I won't say it's my favorite, but I certainly can get into using them. But as a DM, I really don't like using them. Um, Because I have noticed, in most systems, by the time a wizard is hitting 8th, ninth level, they are heavy artillery with spell points. They are blowing up they are really, really tough. More, far more tough than any other class. And again, I'm not a big one on balance, but this is now. It's not a huge thing as it might be otherwise, because over the past decade, I'd say most when I've run D and D, most of the time the characters tend to retire around that eight to ten range of level. Mm-hmm. So it it doesn't extend a long time so i suppose i could still use it but i mean especially in basic expert where you're looking at going 14th or even 20th plus well i've never gone that high huh i've never gone that high so i don't know yeah Um, no michael i will say when we were playing our you know ninth to 11th level characters in chase's old campaign Mm -hmm. i did not feel that my magic user was more powerful than everyone else. As a matter of fact, I was still the one who was most likely to nearly get killed in any given encounter because I had so much fewer hit points than anyone else and monsters that needed to be tough enough to go up against your fighter in your plus four plate mail, you know, they could smack me around with ease if they managed to get into, you know, combat range. But when you went offensively, you did some major, major damage. And by the time we were at that level, a lot of the foes we were fighting, particularly those demons, tended to concentrate on you because you were the wizard. <clears throat> and I had the squishy, gooey caramel center. <laughs> yeah. And they were smart enough to go, get the wizard first. Something every PC party should remember. Oh, yeah. Get the caster first. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get the caster first. I think you're right, Mike, because, I mean, my brother's campaign that went on for 20 years, there was a a magic user I worked up to 24th level in spanning AD&D first edition through three or whatever it was out at the time. Oh, second. First through second. And uh, 
retaining not spell points, but the idea that you can cast... You're only limited by the number of spells you're allowed to have. Cast whatever you want. I mean, that mm-hmm. guy was all-powerful. By, by 24th level, he he did exactly w- and, and went where he pleased. Yeah. I mean, we were having yeah. adventures on the plains. I figured that happened anyway, no matter what magic system you're using. Just the way the quadratic wizards thing works. Well, there's no breaks on the system, which is where... The I quadratic I wizard thing? Well, you know... They start out like a wimp and then end up being the most powerful character in the game if they survive. Wizards. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out the quadratic part. But Sorry, never uh, mind. Bad word, bad word use. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, comparatively, I can see your point, but I think it gets well beyond what would 24th would be otherwise. Mm. Because you literally have the free choice. Yeah, I don't have to... You know, by definition, I have to study up on X number of fireballs, which definition reduces my number of, you know, cha- wall of force or whatever. Yeah, it's like, no, level, I can you're just... walking around with three or four wishes every day if you want. If you want to, yeah, yeah. So, although I'll say, at least in the AD and Ds, a lot of the upper level spells have consequences. They do that are not available, and that's the thing to remember in Basic Expert. <laughs> companion there's very few consequences for the higher level spells and something else that you can also do to try to you know keep stuff like that in check remember at least in the AD&D versions i do not recall with the basic expert higher level spells but you had to have some pretty expensive components to cast them so mm-hmm. even if you don't have to, even if you're not using a Vancian system, if you want to cast, you know, Cube of Force, you still have to have, you know, this, you know, thousand gold pieces worth of diamond dust or something. You know, do I'm, you have that? <laughs> I'm so glad. Now, I haven't that. read Companion in a while, but I don't think those spells, I don't think you have those, those, uh, mag- you know, the components breaks on them. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because we haven't talked about that, and that's another thing. My brother's original campaign, the spell components were always hand waved. That's the way I learned to play, and we weren't the only ones. Now you say, oh no, you're saying hand waved, as in, well, wait a minute, you were playing basic. Uh, well, in the very beginning, O D and D, and then first edition A D and D. Okay, well, I'm going to say O D and D, basic D and D, pretty much hand waves all components. Yeah, you, so that is, would is that true? Like in Holmes and Mulvey Cook? Well, I know it's true in Beckme. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really, I'm not really concerned about it in just Holmes because mm-hmm. you, you stay pretty, third. yeah, you stay pretty low in in Holmes stuff. But right. it could be something that you could incorporate into higher level spells if you wanted to use a spell point system. And try right. to avoid wizards running amok. Oh, <laughs> right. Ooh, I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. It could be ugly. Ugly. <laughs> okay, so are there any systems that either you as players or your players have that really like it when it's usable by the players, but don't like it so much when the monsters get to use it too? Jim. Uh, well, yeah, everything. I mean, 
I'm not going to ever put, a, you know, an evil saucer in front of my players who isn't twinked out to the max because you don't get to be a high-level evil saucer without, you know, perusing the back of the DMG guide and helping yourself to some stuff that you've accumulated over the years. So, yeah, yeah, my, my NPC wizard is going to be well-armed uh, and with both forethought and magic items. And yep. using the same spell point system that the players are using. Uh, yeah, I mean... If it was if it was basic D and D or AD and D using spell points, that's what I would do. Okay, because the, the the stuff I shared about how the rules don't apply to NPC casters and DCC is not necessarily how I would run it. Ah. Okay, Liz, I don't have a problem with monsters being able to do the same things that you know because well you have dragons who can cast spells if they are sufficiently intelligent, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, I would be more likely to have monsters that can do stuff that your regular PCs can't. Um, and perhaps that is unfair, but I, <laughs> like you've said in the past about, you know, I have no problem with monsters having psionics, but I don't yeah. allow player characters to roll them up. You know, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... Um... Are there? Have you ever had any systems that your players thought were really cool until the monsters had it too? And then it's like, well, maybe it's not that cool. Um, well, I'm sure human nature being what it is, <laughs> just yeah. about anything that's cool <laughs> you to have is not so cool when it's being used against you. Oh, um, it, it always I, sucks when you throw a lightning bolt at an evil caster and it fails in his presence. And you're like, that guy's got spell resistance. Yeah. You suck as a DM. Or they have a, you know... And, you know, again, I'm getting into AD&D territory here, but you throw a lightning bolt at someone and they immediately turn around and throw it back at you because they have a ring of spell turning. And <laughs> that's not so cool anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I've never had anyone specifically, you know, gripe at me about it. Um, you know, there's definitely been times, you know, He's like, oh, crap, you know, <laughs> but um, nah, nah. Okay, well, to be honest, I think the last times that really happened to me was when I was a teenager. Uh, I think most of the other, gr- oh, you know, players will rant and rave, but they don't generally rant and rave at me. They're like, well, you know, that's that's how the system works, and so that means demons are, you know, Mind flayers or whatever are going to have it too, you know. Right. And then they just kind of grit their teeth and move on. Oh, dude. I mean, I'm half a century old and I threw a D20 across the store last night. Okay, so imagine what I was like as a teenager. I mean, me and my brother would go at it hammer and tongue. No, he did <laughs> not do that. You can't do that, you know, and just do everything but throw punches. Yeah, wow. we used to, as a teenager, we used to game on my grandmother's glass enclosed uh, patio and I I had players who would throw dice at the glass mm. and I was like uh uh-uh, uh you want to throw your dice open the door first then throw it in the pasture I don't care <clears throat> by the time our mother's dining room table was done there were dice pockmarks all over the poor thing <laughs> our gaming table was glass too probably didn't know how, how lucky I had it come to think of it yeah. You remember that one, Liz? Oh, yeah. Patio? Kind of the frosted glass. Yeah. 
we're lucky that thing probably didn't shatter a time or two. It's probably made of safety glass anyway. Mm. <laughs> Bulletproof, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would. I always, you know, I've always been trained good for one, good for the other. You know, okay. I've been trained from from day one that you know, kill the guy who's waving his arms first. Because he will throw probably exactly what you have. And it's interesting how Liz brings up spell turning. Uh, in Champions, my, my mantra was always, nobody ever listened to me. Every superhero should be able to take a full hit of his own powers. And nobody <laughs> listened to me. I wondered why I bought the advantage immune to own powers. <laughs> it's like someday, uh, if you're, you're going to get somebody. If you're the human torch, you better have that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like the same thing. Someday, somebody's going to fling that fireball right back at your face. So, you know. Uh, that's usually, a, you know, something I would buy. You know, say if I had a person with light powers, uh-huh. you know, I would at least buy that they would take half damage from light-based mm-hmm. powers. Um, right. Damage reduction, yeah. Yeah. You know, if they weren't totally immune, they would take very limited damage if someone had similar powers coming at them. Right. Pseudo Dragon Familiar confers 25% magic resistance on you, couple of plus four rings of fire resistance. Cast the fireball at your feet. You don't care. (laughs) There you go. I had a guy who waited in a campfire to ambush some some trolls because he had a ring of fire resistance on. Ooh. Have you all heard of the Harry Dresden novels? Yes, sure. I've, I've never Liz, heard of them. <laughs> yeah, right. You introduced me to them. Liz and I, on our way to Christmas holidays, was listening to an audiobook of short stories. And one of them started, it was obviously a fantasy story. And at one point, this barbarian is told the rest of the party, enough talk, and starts chopping into the bad guys. I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill. And then the magic user throws a fireball, which expands 20 feet to just a foot away from the barbarian's face and stops. And the barbarian says, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) What? (laughs) Magic fire is still fire. And then it cuts. And apparently Harry Dresden is playing the barbarian. And he starts arguing with the DM how magic fire works. (laughs) It should expand to fill that. Well, it used to be that way, but it was such a pain to figure out how many feet it covered. It's just (laughs) math. Sounds like sounds like the way I DM. <laughs> yeah, which just tells me Jim Butcher's an old school D and Dier. But God forbid Thanks. this tabletop game should make you have to think. <laughs> yes, indeed. But it oh, would be inevitable that the wizard would stop the role playing game to wizard. bitch about how magic is is done in the so, rules. Yes, the real wizard. <laughs> but of course, he was the one to insist on playing the mindless barbarian because. Casting spells sounds too much like work. <laughs> okay, well, have and I've already touched on it myself, but if any of the rest of you want to make any comment, have you noticed any of these alternative systems having major campaign-changing effects? One of the things I've heard on occasion is that spell point systems, for some players, have made the game feel less like D&D. That may be a good thing. <laughs> well, I... I, I'm not sure. Bite your tongue. <laughs> yeah, what the hell are you talking about? You're on a D&D podcast. Yeah. <laughs> RPGs are RPGs are RPGs. <laughs> All right. No, they're not. Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> then, then why don't you start a fatal podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now because I, 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 I shut him up. Because <laughs> I am a fatal character. 
<laughs> if you know what I mean. Good job, Glenn. Now I can't even remember what I was going to ask Mike. <laughs> it must not have been that very important, or you wouldn't have forgotten it. Oh, I remember. I'm radioactive. Shake. Yeah. <laughs> well, Steve Martin. Campaign changing. Not like D&D. <clears throat> Still no help? Nope, it's gone. Oh, well. Sorry. Well. Oh, but I mean, you know, you can do whatever you want to in your campaign. And if you've got a good judge and you've got good players, the campaign, don't you find the campaign will adapt to it? I mean, regardless of what your favorite spellcasting system is. Yeah, but don't you th- uh, And that's something I've, I've debated on occasion. There's a tipping point, I think, in game ch- in rules changes. I don't want to sound like Gary Gygax here, but you may be playing a game and you may be having a ton of fun, and that's in the end all that's really important. Yep. But you reach a point in rules changing where you're not really playing D and D anymore, and that's not exclusive to D and D. You could do that in any game system. You reach a point where you're no longer playing Gamma World, or you know, well, let's play Gamma World. Only there's no mutants. And there's magic, and you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but you know, once again, like you said, the fun trumps it. Unless you're there to play D and D, then that person, that if individual, to... may not be having fun. Well, I, I, well, then he better find another game. All, uh, all, all that is perfectly true, and you know, your mileage varying by players deciding what they want to play and being given something else, that's never going to mm-hmm. work. But but the dynamic you're describing is exactly how all these games we love were created in the first place. I mean, a bunch of diplomacy players and, uh, you know, war, World War II tank miniatures players created D&D. Tactics, yep. I think it's going to vary from individual to individual. For instance, I personally <clears throat> do not see substituting spell points for Vancian magic and including cantrips as something that is a game changer as far as it doesn't feel like D&D to me anymore. On the other hand, I don't ever want to use psionics because I think that does destroy the feel of the game. And I feel like I'm playing a superhero game instead of Dungeons and Dragons. Well, nothing wrong with a superhero game, there is nothing wrong with that. And, you know, that is how I personally feel the player sitting next to me might have the exact opposite. They don't have a problem with psionics, but they feel spell points totally breaks it, and it's no longer D&D for them. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really, really subjective, I think. That was well stated. So, well said. Eh. Well said. <laughs> well and now, said. on that well said note, unless somebody has a last comment, we can move into pro- products of your imagination. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. Where are the Cheetos? They're right next to you. Well, all you do is we play the characters we talked about earlier, and we run around and stuff. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. I'm attacking the darkness. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons game. Products of your imagination. You're not there. You're getting drunk. Products of your imagination. Speaking of which, we need to before the end the show. We got to talk about the oh the Ducka oh, Campus. The Ducka Campus. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, about a month and a half ago, Thorcammer sent me a small booklet 
that he's been offering on his website for $1.99 called Dragon Lairs. Wanted us all to take a look at it and see what we thought about it. I immediately sent it to the other guys and said, hey, why don't we cover it as a quickie products of your imagination sometime? It's only 16 pages, so it's not really big enough to devote a whole show review to, but I thought it would work well as a sectional review, like in the like we used to do back in the day. Woo-hoo. Don't so, make me feel old, Mike. <laughs> no, old makes you feel old. Ah, I see. So it was to me, it was nothing like the Don Bluth game. <laughs> no, I don't think it was supposed to be. <laughs> Oh, 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 okay. Sorry. Change gears. I always got killed in that game, like in the first two panels. But the animation was gorgeous. Oh, yes, it was. For the time, yeah, when we were, like, looking at 8-bit animation. That was awesome. It's like, wow, laser discs in a game? Wow. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Dragon Lairs. Basically, it's... What it says on the tin. Thorcammer provides you a bunch of tables to randomly generate a dragon, its horde, and provides you with a pile of map, pre-generated maps for lair locations. And what did you all think about it, Liz? Um, on the whole, I liked it. Although as far as, you know, randomly creating your dragons, I noticed a lot of his tables, well, say the first table, you have roll d6, but then almost all of your subsequent tables, you don't have anything to roll. To So say you randomly rolled and you got a green dragon, but then the subtable for whether your dragon talks or uses magic, you know, there's nothing to say, you know, okay, I've rolled up this green dragon. Is it an adult dragon? Is it young? Is it whatever? Um, so you've got some of your stuff all together in one location, which is the main, you know, plus for having this little supplement. You're not having to hunt through all your different books for your dragon stuff. It's all together. Mm-hmm. Um I do wish he had gone a little bit more in depth. You know, you've rolled to see what color dragon. Now roll to see, you know, is it young? Is it old? Is it whatever? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that is in the brown, some of the brown books. But you're right. It would be nice to have it in one convenient location. Yeah, and this is all very conveniently located to begin with. Um, it's a very good start. I think he could have put, you know, a little bit more into it. On the other hand, if he's wanting to give the person generating the dragon as much leeway as possible you know it's like okay i've determined it's a green dragon i shall personally decide whether it is old or you know ancient or just a young and um but yeah so i i thought that was something that could have been included i not sure i agree with when he mentions towards the the end of the text about dragons in combat, um, biting for one d six damage. I I think that is I think that's wrong. <laughs> well, this is for original D anD D, so. Yeah, well, I mean, even in Holmes, your bite would be anywhere between four and twenty four points. Your claws yeah. would be one d six. 
but just the whole idea of here is a creature whose head is the size of my living room, and if it bites me, it only does the same amount of damage as a sword as a short sword. <laughs> and maybe like a D six plus five or ten or something might have worked better. Yeah, well, he's got a thing, you know. Later on, if they're really really old, you can add bonuses. But uh. I, you know, I personally, I, I would change that. You know, one D six even with bonuses for a bite. No, <laughs> my granny I would not can do bite that. You. <laughs> I would not do that. What's that, Jim? I said my granny can bite you for 1d6, and she's got dentures. <laughs> <laughs> They're made of mithril. <laughs> okay. Jim? I, I'm in love with the whole idea, because we were talking earlier about uh, sections of the rules that we hand wave, and this is one that I've played under DMs that, you know, it's a cave, there's a dragon, there's a pile of treasure with no forethought, or, or, or like way, way back in the old days, there's somehow this, you know, prehistoric beast at the 10th level of a dungeon. How the hell did he even get down there? You know, that kind of silliness, which we just never In a 10 by 10 room. Right, right. <laughs> you open the door, you fight. <laughs> so, I, you know, kudos for devoting the time and attention to working out a system for helping other people do it easily. Okay. Glenn? Well, I like it for the simplicity of it and the maps. Uh, uh, this every every DM worth of salt I know has like a DM book where they have like all the stuff they gather to write write the adventure, run the adventure, and info and stuff they copy and stuff. This is one of those things. You print it out, you stick it in your DM book. There it is, in case you need it. And I like that kind of stuff. Mm. But and I love the maps too. I think. But nothing in particular other than the not, maps stood out to you. Nothing in particular. I want a quick and dirty dragon. I'll go right here. And then okay. I'll, okay, close my eyes, point. That That's his lair right there. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe there's right. some tre- treasure tables in there too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, First, do you want me to pick on it a little? Well, <laughs> can I talk about if my you, le- If you like. My least, <laughs> yes. my least favorite well, part? Uh, well, we can go back around and, and talk about our least favorites, but I, I would say my favorite part. Um, was how he not only really covers, it's only inferred here and there, but he also kind of encourages you to use this system for, quote-unquote, non-dragon creatures too, like hydras and wyverns and such, right. which I think is kind of cool if you don't want to go the whole... Um, and he also gives the rules on subduing dragons, although I think I can count on one hand the number of times in a party <laughs> people have tried to subdue a dragon. 99 times out of 100, they go, a dragon, ah, kill! (laughs) It's it's much easier just to kill it and steal its eggs and raise those. Horror on the hill comes to mind. (laughs) Well, that's what's expected. Now, whether parties actually do that. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's my favorite bits, I think. And, you know, for two bucks, you, this PDF, it's really hard to go wrong. Now, least favorites, Liz. Well, you you kind of asked me what did I think of it, so I just sort of gave. Okay, you yeah, you already threw in the D six. I, I, I gave you everything, else? you know. Um, <laughs> no, no. D six. D six. D six bite. That's wrong. D six bites. <laughs> Liz wants her polyhedrals. That's right. I to use at least a couple of D12s here. Maybe if it was right. a dragon with six tiny little heads. <laughs> I 
(laughs) (laughs) Getting nibbled to death. Okay, your turn, Jim. Okay. I love the uh, typesetting, the use of the Futura font, just like in Holmes. That's really, really old school, and that's complemented by the maps being in that sort of uh, way past the day where it's necessary that – Non-Xeroxable photocopyable yeah, the, blue. The, the sky, the yeah. sky blue. Those, the, those, <laughs> are two, yeah. those are two nice nostalgic touches that I wish had been matched by some good Diesel or David LaForce art on the cover because that is just one happy Pokemon dragon on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Who did the cover? Or was that was public me? domain art? Um, Wasn't me. I was going to say there's there's nothing in here that says who did the cover art, so I don't it's know. But it's a probably, very happy, smiling little dragon. It's awfully it's, cute. Then I suspect it's probably pu- uh, public domain. Well, next, uh, if Dorky, if you're listening, next time get in contact with Lloyd Metcalf and pay him like fifty bucks or something, or work it out in trade because that's your yeah. guy who can do what you needed to have there. Okay, okay. I I could have done. He's paid me for artwork before i could have done it <laughs> anyway. well it'd be i mean a very happy dragon i like your stuff but you and i are kind of more bigfoot cartoonists and i'm just thinking of something like in the Holmes book if the, if anybody else said that i would say what's wrong with bigfoot but i know you and we're kindred spirits <laughs> there's so nothing wrong with bigfoot right. it's just it is, it is what it is it yeah. is what it is hi glenn um I can't really find much fault at fault with this other than, okay, I'll go with Liz's thing about the D6, but that's easily fixable. Mm. You know, I'm just, you know, pull out your old, uh, you know, your BX or your 1E or whatever the hell you use and look and see what a dragon does and just go from there, you know, as far as biting. Okay. Well, one thing I do want to mention, and I did enjoy this very much, Mm -hmm. he has at the beginning, like in the old books you know if you are a player quit reading this and put it away (laughs) this is for game masters only get out of course none of us ever did that but it was always there and i really enjoyed reading that at the beginning of i had forgotten about that but yeah that's cool don't look very tongue-in-cheek there burn your eyes out I I kind of agree with Liz on the age. It would be nice to have had a random method of determining age. All I can think of there, though, is it may have been he didn't want to leave that random, leave it to the control of the DM because he didn't want, you know, okay, these first level characters are running, have randomly encountered a dragon lair, and he's very old. Ah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So maybe he wanted to leave that arbitrary. He did leave the percentiles on talking and spell use. So I mean, know. if you want to know whether or not to TPK your players, you can just flip a coin. <laughs> yeah. What can should ju- I yeah. do? Um, again, yeah, that's really uh, the, the only gripe I had, and that's really minor. But you know, for for again, like I said, for two bucks, or sorry, a buck ninety nine, mm-hmm. it's really hard to go wrong. Yeah. Two dollars. So where can and listeners got- purchase this wonderful product for $1.99, Mike? It is on the World of Thorcammer on Thorcammer's Lulu site. You can either get it as a PDF or print-on-demand. It's more expensive for print-on-demand, of course. I don't remember what the price is for that for POD. We will put the link in the show announcement for everyone to be sure to go to. 
So fear not. Now giving dragons. Liz, and never has it been more appropriate than on this supplement. <laughs> I'm giving this three dragons. Okay. Um, I think it's, it's a good workhorse of a supplement, especially for the price. You've mm-hmm. got virtually all of the information you need gathered together in one segment rather than flipping back and forth about treasure tables, etc., etc. It's all there. Um, for a good time saver, you know, it'd be nice to have. Um, I do think, you know, I'm... I'm upset with the D6 bite. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to get it out there. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think one or two more random tables for rolling other than just the first one would have been cool. So. Yep. On a quick side note, I forgot to mention I liked how he already gave suggested spell lists for the various type of spellcasting dragons. I thought that was cool. Yeah. So, Jim? Uh, I give it one D6 dragons. Hang on. <laughs> uh, very old blue. No, um, I'll go with Liz. Three, I, I, well, since the D6 thing, I would just change. It wouldn't bother me. I'm going to go three and a half. Okay. So the cover didn't didn't turn you off that badly. I Well, it, oh. I get confused by these things for, 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 <laughs> for what it is and what it costs. Uh, what's our top score? Five. Five. Okay, four and a half. Okay. Four and a half. I wasn't nagging you into changing your, your grade, by the way. I was just curious because that was the big thing you had brought up was the, the cover. So You are not responsible for the hemispheres in my brain throwing sparks. Gotcha. <laughs> Glenn? Okay, I had to go back and look at the PDF of the cover again. It's like, uh, Dragon Lairs, I choose you. Um, <laughs> but it's I'll, awfully cute. It, it's it very is. cute. It's a nice piece of art. Yes, it is. I'll give it four for mainly what, like what Liz said, the uh, the D six thing. But it, these are one of those little things you should always have in your arsenal of DM book or things, especially for the maps. I mean, I I could use the hell out of those maps. You know, mm-hmm. they're really well done. Yeah, it's and not just for a dragon lair either. Just a quickie exactly. lair. This is the whole thing. Is you like need a tunnel about- system? Here you go. The whole thing is like a, a Dragon magazine article that would have appeared in the first ten issues of Dragon. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty much. All right. Well, I will give it four dragons. My man. Because I do think it is good. I think what little problems it is, any GM worth their salt can can overcome. And since GMs only are the ones reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I like for once Liz being the hard ass, not me. I was gonna say it's like, wow, I'm the <laughs> I'm the bad guy here now. I kind of like it. <laughs> I'm gonna start giving low scores to everyone now. <laughs> Although three is not a low score, it is a firm middle score. I think it's a it's a good solid thing. Yeah, I just it, I pa- think it could have been better. Oh yeah, it's not a bad one. No, it's it's. It's a passing grade in the public school system. Indeed. Yeah. Dorky does not get the stamp of the wizard with oh. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> All right. And like that dragon, one more episode in the can. Or in yeah. the lair, as the case may be. What did our dragons come out to for 
3.7, I think. It was 15.5 divided by 4. So that's 3. Point... We should use a spell point system for this. 35. <laughs> yeah. 3. Pi. 3.3333333. <laughs> yeah, 3.65, I think. Okay. There you go. Buy one today. Yeah. And we're heading out on the road once again in the new year of 2014. And how are we heading out on the road, Glenn? I am running along after that pokey dragon while taking an abacus and calculating my spell points. And Jim? I'm walking down the road with my spellcaster's Bible looking at all the shiny 10th level spells I don't have. And envying them. Absolutely. Oh, 15th level spell. I don't have that either. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. And Liz? I am going down the road with what I thought was going to be a dragon, but it turned out just to be a really giant lizard. (laughs) I'm going down the road with my Ducca Campus. Oh, yeah. We never talked about Ducca Campus. (laughs) Yes. Ducca Campus will have to wait. Yeah, it'll have to wait. But we'll see everybody in episode 85, and who knows if there's enough demand, we can actually come up with stats for the Duck at Campus. Wow. Demand it. You won't be sorry. Actually, you probably will be. Yeah, you probably will. And some Bigfoot art to go with it. Yeah, Yeah. like that. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. See ya. Free arc. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.